Amen. Thank you, Paul. The choir. Sounded like 40 people up there, not four. If Christ is the anchor of your soul this morning, would you say amen with me? Amen. Amen. Well, it is good, again, to bring the word to you this morning. I feel like it's been forever since I've been able to preach, and uh, a preacher always has a fire in his bones, at least most likely, uh, wanting to bring God's word to you. And so we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew. If you missed last week, we gave a report on the Peru mission trip. I sent out an email. Uh, several people who weren't here saw the video and were encouraged by it. And if you'd like to see the video, again, just let me know. If you have questions, uh, ask those who went, because we're excited to talk about what God did. Although it's just Nancy and I this morning. Um, Ryan has started his internship up at Murfreesboro Spring to Life. I saw pictures on, online where he was doing manual labor with a wheelbarrow, so he's uh, already being put to work, and Faith is away, I think, on a business trip. But uh, ask Nancy and I, and we're continually excited about what God is doing. Mark your calendars for a couple of specific days. Uh, as I mentioned last week, October 14th, they're having a gathering of believers in Peru. Now, I know... Peru is far away, and what does that have to do with us? But again, even though you didn't go on the mission trip, we can pray for that gathering. And so people are going to have to walk three hours. Some are going to have to take a taxi for an hour. Make big sacrifices to get to this meeting in, in Ayurveda. And so they're hoping for maybe 10, 12 people to come to this meeting. So mark your calendars, October 14th, we'll be praying for them. I told Mike, the missionary, and Daniel DeLand and uh, the Harris family that our church is praying specifically for that meeting. Then also, um, a meeting that you can attend, again, Mike Johnson already said, October 27th and 28th, that's our revival, our fall revival. I'm extremely excited about the fall revival. The theme is gospel and race. And so we talk about how the gospel is for all tribes, all tongues, all nations, but sometimes when we say that, we think about other people, groups outside of the United States. And that's true, but we must remember that's for all people here in the United States. So Brian Crawford is coming. He is a pastor in Vicksburg, Mississippi. He is so excited. He is the pastor where Andrew and Brittany go to church. Uh, with the gathering of the saints, uh, as I, uh, should correct myself as they come together. As I talked to Brian, he said, um, I'm just asking for the Lord to direct me as I come and bring the word to you. And so he is praying, as Mike prayed earlier, that the Holy Spirit would direct him even a month in advance, uh, and before then. So pray for Brian as he comes on the 27th. We're going to eat, as Baptists do. We're going to come together, lots of good food. And then he's going to speak, kind of whet our appetites for what does it mean for the gospel to impact all races. And then on the 28th, he will bring the word in the morning. And then the evening, we're going to have a Q&A. Um, Brian and I will uh, try to attempt to answer any questions you might have about the gospel and race. All right, well, let's dive into uh, Matthew chapter 11. There is a lot this morning. It seems like it never fails. Uh, last night, was it last night or this morning? I forget already. I think it was last night, Sheena said, uh, just to let you know, I'm in the nursery uh, tomorrow morning. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, it's another long sermon. So I don't mean to plan these long sermons when uh, she's in the nursery, but that's how it worked out. Matthew chapter 11. Let's stand together as we read and honor the preaching of God's holy word. 
Jesus is continually teaching and preaching. He has begun his earthly ministry. And this is where we pick up in chapter 11. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and violent, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like sitting, it is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment of Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, Will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.
Amen. You may be seated. Let us seek the Lord together in prayer. Father, we come to you because, again, your word tells us to. Your word tells us to come and to seek and to knock. So, Lord, we come to you, and we are heavy laden. Father, we bring many burdens. We are an imperfect people. So, Father, I confess my own sins. Father, I pray that you'll forgive me. Lord, I thank you that you are a forgiving God, that you are faithful and just, and you cleanse those from all their unrighteousness. So, Father, we come before you as a people who are heavy laden and, Father, worn out, burning the candle at both ends, so to speak. And, Father, we need rest. Lord, not just physical rest, but emotional, spiritual rest. So, Lord, help us to seek you. Draw our hearts to you. Help us to see that when we come to you, we are refreshed as living waters refreshes man and woman. Father, your word is like such living waters because it points to you. Jesus, the great shepherd, the light, the door, who brings the water of life. Father, numerous ways you provide for your people. So Lord, I pray even now that you might open our minds to understand Soften our hearts to believe. And Father, as I've prayed before, I pray again, help us in our unbelief. Father, we trust in you and we pray to you because you are the God of all gods. You are the King of all kings. And Lord, we trust in you at this very hour. Lord, help us not to just fill our minds with knowledge and leave puffed up. But Father, I pray that you will fill us with your Spirit. And Lord, we know true knowledge of you leads to true worship of you. So Father, let us worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I pray you might sanctify your people. And again, we pray, we ask that you might draw sinners unto yourself. Those gathered here this morning may be hearing the gospel for the 115th time. We pray that they might see they need Christ. We need Christ. And Father, those who are not here, maybe our friends and neighbors, let us implore them to trust in Christ today. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Matthew 11. There's a lot again to cover in this chapter. We're not going to go through it verse by verse. And we're going to kind of camp out, focus um, on the last six verses. But before we get there, in Matthew 11, again, Jesus continues his earthly ministry. He continues teaching and preaching and doing signs and wonders like no one else. And we see here at the very beginning that he is going from city to city, teaching and preaching. He has a heart for cities and villages, as we saw at the end of chapter 9. And he's instructing his disciples. But even as he's instructing them, word is sent to him, oddly enough, interesting enough, from John, from John the Baptist, and he even wants to be certain that this man, this Jesus, is the Messiah. He's the one descended from David, and so he wants to know, is he who he says he is? So my goal for us this morning is to see who Jesus says he is. Remember that Christ's identity affects our identity, and last but not least, that we will learn to rest in Jesus. 
We must continually learn to rest in Jesus. So Jesus gives word back through the messengers to John the Baptist. And what does he say in this first section in verses 4 and four through five, 4 and 5? He gives word. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. What you hear and see is nothing different than what I've already done, that the blind have their sight, the deaf hear, the lepers are cleansed, and good news is preached to the poor. In other words, I am He. I am the one that you have waited for. I am the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. So the word is sent back to him. And then in verse 6, there's an interesting verse. It's similar to verse 15. Verse six, verse 6, he says, Blessed is the one, what does the text say? Who is not offended by me. So Jesus reminds them, he is the Messiah. And he also teaches them, you are to trust in me. You're not to be offended by me, you are to come to me. As we see throughout this chapter. But John the Baptist was not offended by him. He prepared the way for him. But there were many, many that are kind of alluded to and actually outright called called out in verses 20 through 24. But the ones that are alluded to are these religious rulers, these pious people, these prideful people, these people who think that they know Jesus, but yet <clears throat> they do not. And so Jesus kind of implies to them, those who are offended by him, that they are wrong, that they have rejected him, and ignored him and taken offense of Jesus, but he is saying, I am the Messiah. So the question for us this morning is, do we take offense to Jesus? We must come to him, not reject him. We see throughout the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus spoke with authority. We see that he healed with regularity. We see that he walked with humility. This was the perfect man, literally. Perfectly, fully God, fully man, the God-man, did nothing wrong, healed people, walked with humility. This wasn't somebody who said, now look at this sign, look at this miracle. He wasn't puffing himself up, walked with humility, taught with authority, and yet people rejected him. This is why Jesus says, we're not going to go through every section there, but Jesus affirms in the middle section there that John was a prophet. He was a mighty prophet. He was preparing the way for the prophet of all prophets. One thing I like to remind my Muslim friends is they, as they talk about Muhammad, if you've ever had a conversation with a Muslim person, if they are true and devout, many times when they say Muhammad, they will put a little phrase after that and they will say, peace be upon him. Well, he is not the last prophet. The last prophet, the prophet of all prophets, is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is saying, John, the prophet, has pointed to me. He has come and he has prepared the way for me. And so he says this here in verses 7 through 14. And then in verse 15 he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He is saying, in essence, listen to my instruction. Listen to the words that I am saying to you. Then in verse 16, Jesus wisely points to, their, to the fickle people and the rebellious hearts of those who rejected him. He says, what shall I compare this generation? And so he says, these people have these unrealistic expectations. 
of who is to come. He says, the one that you are looking for is standing before you, and the one who is pointing to him, John, came already. And they have unrealistic expectations. And then they hurl false accusations to John and to Jesus. We have seen this past week how false accusations can impact people in their life of whatever stripe. And then here in verse 18, look at what it says about John. It says, John came neither eating nor drinking. And what do they say of him? He's got a demon. I mean, if you were John, you're, think, you're thinking, what? All I have come to do is to tell you and prepare the way that Jesus has come. I am the one who is preparing the way. And you say, I have a demon? You know, if I were John, I'd say, look in the mirror, back at you. Thankfully, I'm not him. And then we see another false accusation in verse 19. Matthew records these words, the Son of Man, the Son of God, came eating and drinking. They are referring to the fact of the company in which he kept, that he kept company with the sinners in order to rescue sinners. He said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but they are referring to that, and they say to him, saying of Jesus, look at him, a glutton. Look at him, a drunkard. He is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's like they are saying, how dare he? This man who has come, this son of man, this Messiah, if that's who he is, he looks more like a glutton and a drunkard than a savior to me. But what? how does Jesus respond? Again, with discernment, with wisdom. He says, in fact, wisdom is justified by her deeds. In other words, you will see, you will see by my actions, you will see by my life, you will see by my ministry that I am he who is the Messiah. So he says that his actions will prove his statements. So Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of Man, he is the Son of God to rescue and to redeem you and I. Then in the second section, verses 20 through 24, this is quite a bold section. Jesus now not only gives examples of individuals, but he talks of cities who should have repented. I mean, can you imagine if Jesus were in our day and he called out cities, you know, Decatur and Hartzell, if these cities had seen my works? No, if he would have called these cities out, we would be appalled. Well, he does such a thing. He calls out cities, if I can speak. And look, what does he say in verse 20? He says, these cities where most of my mighty works have been done should have humbled themselves. They should have sought me. But instead, what does he say about these cities? They will be denounced. They will be taken down. They will see the wrath of God. They will see the vengeance of God. Because why? Verse 20 says why. Because they did not repent. Because they did not repent. This is their fatal flaw, that they did not repent. They will not repent. So judgment and vengeance will fall upon those who do not repent. Repentance was essential to John the Baptist's message. Remember, what did John say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Jesus likewise emphasized repentance. Listen to what Martin Luther says about repentance. He says, the recognition of sin is the beginning of salvation. The recognition of sin is the beginning of salvation. We must remember, we must not forget that we are called to repent and we are called to continually repent. The life for the Christian is one of repentance and belief. Let us go to the last section. As we repent, again, repentance is not one where we are overwhelmed with guilt and we are overwhelmed with despair, but repentance leads to life because repentance is connected to who? It's repent, it's connected to Christ. And so we see life and we see hope. And lastly, we see rest is found in Jesus Christ. Let's look at this last section, verses 25 through 30. I will say something. I've done something I've never done before in writing a sermon. I started at the end of the chapter. Now, why did I start at the end? Is it because I didn't understand the beginning? That that does happen. Um, that wasn't the case this time. Did I start at the end because I wanted to know the end of the chapter? No, not in this case, maybe in Revelation. Why do you think I started at the end? It's because I love this section. I love this section. I love this section, and it reminds us of our need to rest. You need to rest. I need to rest. We need to learn to rest together. So let's look at these life-changing verses, verses 25 through 30. It's worth our time to read these again. Jesus declares, he prays, he thanks his Father in verse 25. Lord of heaven and earth. Then he prays something interesting. He says, You have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Makes me think of what we read in in Lamentations. His mercies are new every morning. We see God's mercy here as he calls us. It's interesting. I never realized this until I studied this chapter. It's interesting that this passage comes right after the judgment. Right after the judgment upon those who reject him. He says, those who reject me will face wrath and judgment. For you though, for you my disciples, you will receive rest. You will receive peace. There's this great contrast here, and I want to point out five things quickly. You thought you were going to get away with a short sermon this morning. Five things quickly at the end of this section, verses 25 through 30. Stephen, you have them there for me? Thank, Good job, buddy. Thanks. Number one, Jesus thanks God who reigns over creation. Number two, Jesus shows us true submission as he submits to his Father who's in heaven. Number three, he gives us a glimpse of election. 
Number four, Jesus extends an invitation, a gentle one at that. And number five, Jesus makes a declaration. So quickly and briefly, we will look at these verses. Verse 25, Jesus prays to his Father, recognizing he is the Lord God who reigns over, what does God reign over? All, everything, all things. He He recognizes that and he prays to God. He thanks God and he says, God, your ways are good. We must recognize that the Father, God's ways are mysterious. People have asked us questions. People have asked me questions. People have asked you questions that you do not have answers for. If you do, I want to ask you questions. And so people ask us questions we don't have answers for, and we see that his ways are mysterious at times, but we must be reminded of the fact of two things. He is God, we are not. That's the first thing. He is God, we are not. Number two, he is good. Don't forget the fact that he is good. He is God, but he is also good. He is good and he is God. So we see that God, Jesus, who is God, thanks his Father who reigns over creation in verse 25. He thanks him. What does he thank him for? This is the interesting part. He thanks him for revealing his plan to children. We must recognize that at times God conceals things and then at other times he reveals things. And here he thanks God, his heavenly father, for revealing his plan not to, what does it say, the wise and understanding. Jesus is using a bit of sarcasm here as he's talking about the religious Jewish leaders. They were the wise, the intelligent. They were the understanding wise ones, not really. So Jesus uses sarcasm here as he speaks of the arrogance, the pride of the ones who boasted of their knowledge but did not repent. It was the Father's will for some to not follow Jesus. And Jesus sees this and he submits to it. He submits to it in verse 26. Let us see what true submission looks like in verse 26. He says, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now this is the Son who has all authority. He could have said, but God, but what about this? But can we think about this? Can we take a time out? Can we do a rewrite? No. He says, this is your plan. And it is good. This was your gracious will. It is well-pleasing. It's not just a way. It is the right way. It is the best way. Listen to what John MacArthur says about verse 26. Says Jesus affirms the sovereignty of God over all the affairs of men, and in the verse that follows, Christ claimed that the task of executing the divine will had been committed to him, a claim that would have been utterly blasphemous if Jesus were anything less than sovereign God himself. So Jesus submits to the Father as only he can. Now let us turn to verse 27. Verse 27 is maybe the most controversial of all the verses. We won't spend a lot of time here, but we see Jesus gives us a glimpse of election. Jesus reminds us that the Father is in complete control. He is sovereign. This is apparent in five ways. The Son, Jesus, has received authority from the Father. The Father uniquely knows the Son. The Son uniquely knows the Father. We can know the Father only through the Son, 
and we only know the Son because we have been chosen by Him. The sovereignty of God is displayed in the authority given to the Son. The text says that all things have been handed over to the Son. The things were not merely revealed to the Son, but delivered over to Him. This What we see here in Matthew is complementary to what we see in the Gospel of John. Listen to John 3. It says, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So what does this passage refer to when it says all things? It refers to all that is necessary to execute the Father's perfect will, which includes unlimited power, and authority. We see not only the Son's uniqueness as the executor of the Father's will, but we see the Son's uniqueness as the mediator between God and man. Jesus is the perfect mediator, the perfect redeemer who reveals the Father to us. Let me read to you, to us all, a short poem by Milton Vincent that reminds us of this mystery. Wonder of wonders so great to behold, my God chose to save me with method so bold. What I could not render, God fully has done. And doing, he rendered it all through his Son. He sent Christ to die on the cross for my sin, to suffer my anguish, my pardon to win. So here in verse 27 of chapter 11, we see that God has chosen to save his people. While this teaching of election has irritated, frustrated, and confused some, this should not be the case. Why? Why? Because when we emphasize election, who are we emphasizing? We are highlighting God. We're highlighting God's power over our rebellion. We're showcasing God's glory over our pride. And we point to a kingdom that's not built upon man's accomplishments, but on Christ, the King of the kingdom. I thought about sharing with you 20 verses. Instead, I'll just choose three. Let's look at um, Ephesians chapter 1 where we see this idea of election. In Ephesians 1, we see, even as he chose us, we really should read the whole chapter of chapter Ephesians 1, but we won't. In verse 4, it says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Two key words that are often overlooked. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, we read this. God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And then John chapter 6 We could read a good portion of John 6, but I'll just highlight one verse. John 6, verse 44, it says, No one can come to me, Jesus here speaking, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I encourage you to read Romans 8, 29 through 34, Romans 9, Romans 11, all of Romans, many parts of the New Testament, all highlight this idea of election. But as I emphasize God's gracious will upon which our salvation stands, it's not to discourage you. Yes, 
we have an element of will. Yes, we respond. Humans have responsibility. We respond to God's gracious will. It's not to discourage you, but rather it's to deepen your devotion to God as we see God's perfect plan, His wonderful plans, plans before the foundation of the world and yet include the world, all for God's glory. As we look at the last three verses, look with me at the last three verses of the chapter, we come to precious promises. Jesus offers and he extends an invitation. This is a gentle, gentle invitation, one that promises rest for the weary. We see Jesus say in verse 28, what are the first three words? Let's say them together. Verse 28, the first three words. Come to me. This is Jesus speaking. Come to me. This reminds me of what we read in Isaiah. Isaiah says, Come to me all who thirst. Likewise, Jesus is saying, Come everyone who is tired. When you get tired, you and I need to learn to rest. Not to quit, but to rest. Rest in Jesus. Jesus is not inviting the wise and the learned, but rather the weary and the burdened. Jesus has come not to quench the curiosity of the arrogant, but to bring hope to the hopeless. Jesus' gentle invitation is not to come to a system of legalism, but to come to Him. To come to Him. Jesus seems to bring relief to those who are under heavy pressure put on them by the Pharisees, which we'll read about next week in chapter 12. While we may not be under such legalistic burdens referred to here, we all face various burdens and loads that are unrealistic as we turn to a host of things instead of to Jesus himself. We seek to do more, to be better, to strive harder, in a world that already focuses on external accomplishments over faithfulness. Accomplishments are not bad, but when we live for them, when we live for them, and when we base our identity upon our careers or what others think of us, we will continually bow to others instead of to the one who made us. So we must remember, we must continually teach ourselves and remind ourselves of our identity in Christ. If we don't, we will be deceived by lies that are told to us. Listen to a few lies that I heard this past week in a popular book that's released by Rachel Hollis called Girl, Wash Your Face. Now, i got to be honest, that's a funny book title. I mean, that, that is funny. And she is a witty writer, but she's not necessarily wise. I don't mean to hurt her or diminish her, But listen to a few of the lies that she says in this book that was published by a Christian publisher. She says, this is again a lie, you come first and your happiness depends on you. Another lie, judgment is bad. As we saw in Matthew chapter 6, judgment is good. Properly defined. Another lie, this is a big lie. This is why a friend of mine told me that I need to preach more like Joel Osteen, and I told him he was crazy. Another lie is that sin isn't the problem. That is a big lie. 
There are enough New York Times bestsellers that speak of these lies. We must reject these lies. How do we reject these lies? As I just taught an hour ago in the new members class, by filling our minds with the truth. By reminding one another with the truth. That's why we come together. By teaching the truth. So we must reject these lies. We must focus our identity in Christ instead of striving for worldly success. Yes, we must take care of ourselves. Yes, we must have goals for our lives. But we will do these things when we rest in Jesus and remember what is our goal in life. What is our goal in life? Glorify God in every situation. That is our goal. The way we do that, Jesus says, is to rest in Him. We must rest more. You do realize, at least I hope you do, is that rest is designed by God. It's given to us by God. And not only is it given to us by God, it's given to us for our good. Rest comes from God, and Jesus offers such rest. So when you rest in Him, you can live with purpose. When you know Christ as Savior and are changed by God's grace, this foundational truth will affect how you live. It will affect how you work for others. It will affect how you treat others. It will affect the way you talk with others. So you can be content to glorify God in every situation, whether you're painting your living room, buying a new car, teaching your children, or crushing your long-term goals, you can be content. You can also be content when you are burglarized, when you have a flat tire, when your children misbehave, and when your goals all seem unattainable, at least at the moment. You can glorify God because your hope is found in Jesus Christ. So let's look at the last two verses. Verse 29, let's see the hope that we have for the future is the hope that we have for today. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will, you will, you will find rest for your souls. Here in verse 29, Jesus gives us this gentle invitation. Jesus refers to yoke. He's not referring to eggs but he's talking about a wooden beam that was put on animals for pulling heavy loads. Jesus uses this metaphor to describe his willingness as the master to teach us as disciples as we learn from him, as we lean to him. I mean, if we had the opportunity to sign up for an online discipleship class that took 10 hours a day, we would say, I don't know. Taught by Jesus. Okay, now now I'm ready to sign up. I mean, the 10 hours a day didn't sound very nice, but when you see taught by Jesus, yeah, we're all in. So Jesus says, I am the master, and I will teach you. You will learn from me, and you will learn how to rest. Jesus says he's gentle and lowly or humble in heart. He's not looking to add to our burdens. He's not trying to hide something from us. The psalmist says that God does not withhold any good thing from you. God is good. He is gracious. He gives good gifts to those who ask Him, His children. 
So he can carry our burdens just as he can carry you and I. Then we come to the the final declaration in verse 30. He gently reminds us of this truth. What does he say in verse 30? He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' yoke is good. His burden is bearable because he is the shepherd. He is the teacher. He's not like the professor in college that when you're going through the syllabus, you're thinking, I'm ready to drop out right now. I'm not going to be able to make it to the first exam. No, he is the good shepherd and he will lead his sheep in the way in which they can go. Jesus contrasts himself from the Pharisees who were looking to obey the law through a strict observance that is not what the law was pointing to. The law was pointing to Jesus, the one who is the perfect law abider, law keeper, the one who reveals to us what the law is about. He is the Redeemer. The Old Testament points to Jesus. He is the one we are to believe to. So let us hear the words of Jesus this morning. If you have never followed Christ, hear these words, come to me. If you are a Christ follower this morning and you are tempted as I often am, I've got this, most dangerous words. I can do this, not in my strength. Let me remind you to find your rest in the Redeemer. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you that your word is true. Lord, I pray that you might remind us that we are called to turn to you and to trust in you in all things. Lord, we need you. We need you to break through our stubborn, stubborn hearts. And Father, help us to submit to you in all things. Lord, we praise you and we worship you. And Lord, I pray even now, Father, that we will submit to your gracious will. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.